Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study of the book of Romans, Pastor Murphy showed us two purposes of the law, to silence man and to bring guilt upon man. Today we'll continue to study Paul's disclaimer about the law, that the law cannot justify a person. All right, if you've got your Bibles, you need to turn with me, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 3. Romans, chapter 3. Book of Romans, chapter 3. And we will commence our reading in this chapter from verse number 10. And then we'll come to our text in verse number 20. But let's read from verse number 10 of Romans chapter 3. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way, they're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of ass is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, is saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, They shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So I'm saying to you it's important for us to understand the importance of the law. By the way, one last thing I'll say to this. By looking to the law, they've completely denied the sufficiency of Christ and his death and his atonement. Look, Christ's death took care of your past sin. It took care of your present sin. And thank God it take care of your future sin. He's perfected forever. Those that are sanctified. Forever. Those that are sanctified. That's the glory of the sufficiency of the death of Christ. And the folly of saying we need Christ plus the law. You know, I thought this argument was finished a long time ago. You remember in Acts chapter 15, this was something that was destroying the church. And the apostles had to deal with it. It's a funny thing, we've got to deal with it today after so long. It was settled in Acts chapter 15. Look with me for just a moment at Acts chapter 15, quickly. The crisis in Acts chapter 15. 
Look at verse number 5. But there rose certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believe, saying that it was needful to be circumcised, and commanded them to do what? Keep the law of Moses. This is not new. There's a, a man who is a Jew, who becomes a Christian, he's now a, a Judaizer, he comes into the church, he does not shed his Jewish trappings, and he said, look, hey, I've got Christ, but I still need to be circumcised, and you need to be, not only that, you better keep the law of Moses. That was the crisis in the church. Now remember the Jewish church, the first century church started the Jewish church. Paul had just begun in Acts chapter 30, sending the gospel to the Gentile world. They had received Christ by faith. Now you've got people in the church saying, these Gentiles must keep the law. And the Gentiles in the crisis, what do we do? So what they did, they called a council together. Look at verse 6. And the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. How are we going to solve this problem? Let's hear what the scriptures say on this matter. So a council is called. And then notice in verses 7 to 18, there are three main characters that get up to speak. The first one is Peter. And if you look at verse 7, uh, Peter gets up and, and when they had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth shall hear and the word of the gospel and believe and God uh, and God which know of the hearts of, of, of men bear them witness giving them the Holy Spirit even as we in other words Peter saying look the Gentiles got saved the same way we got saved we came in through the door of Christ we didn't come through the law that's how we got saved so Peter said we're saved the same way and then Barnabas gets up and you find that in verse 12 then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Saul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among them. Paul is saying, look, the fact that God has sanctioned the work among the Gentiles, he has vindicated that work through miracles and signs. This is the hand of God. They too now are silent. But you need three witnesses. So who's the third one? James gets up now. And look what James says in verse 13. And after they had held their peace, James answered said, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, that is Peter, had declared how God all uh, uh, at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name and to disagree the words of the prophet as it is written. After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and I will build again the ruins thereof which is set up. And the residue of men might seek after the Lord all the Gentiles. So Peter said, hey, here is the authority of God's word. And Peter, by the way, in this particular, he's quoting from Isaiah. And Amos. So he says, the scriptures vindicate this matter. And then, what's the conclusion? Look at verse 19 of the same book. Wherefore, my sentence is this, that you trouble not them which are among the Gentiles that turn to God, 
that you write unto them that they abstain from the pollution of idols, from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. And then he goes on to say, For Moses of old time hath in every city preached, verse 22, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch and, uh, with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbath and Silas, and men among the brethren. And they wrote letters after this manner, etc., etc. Problem was solved. The question was, the, the crisis was resolved. No man needs to be saved through Christ and having to keep the law. And I feel sorry for you this morning, my dear friend. Greatly sorry for you. If you haven't come to Christ and have liberty and freedom in Christ, now you're under the master stick of the law. Believing that if you don't do that, you're lost. You're lost. You're lost. My friend, you'll be lost every day. If you look into the law and not the Christ, you are men most miserable. See? Most miserable. See? So the Apostle Paul uh, clearly is dealing with a matter that was dealt with in the book of Acts. My point this morning is that we as a church have still got to understand that while the law does not save us, the law is a weapon in the arsenal of the believer to hammer away the hard hearts of men who are not saved. It's the only thing that can show people what sin is. You tell me what sin is. If there's no law, you explain to me why I'm a sinner. You tell me what sin is. There's no law that says, I should not commit adultery, I should not lie, I should not steal, I should not covet, I should not honor God. There's no, nothing that says that at all. Where there's no law, there's no sin. Paul says that. So how are we going to get people to understand they're sinners when we just shelve the law? Now I hope you see our dilemma. I hope you sincerely see our dilemma. I'm not teaching heresy here this morning, friend. I'm not teaching legalism. Legalism is that a man is saved by keeping the law. But that should never make us not use the law lawfully in dealing with the unsaved person. Look, don't be so anxious to put him in the kingdom when he doesn't belong there. He doesn't belong there if he doesn't know he's a sinner, he repents. He doesn't belong in the kingdom. But you put him there. And you're going to be held responsible for this lostness as well. Because when he stands up before God and says, She told me so. He told me so. What are you going to do? You tell me what you're going to do in that day. Your job is not to convict men. Your job is a witness to present the gospel to men. Whether they accept it or not, that's their problem. But you've absolved yourself of the responsibility to get the gospel to them. The watchman. If I say to the wicked, thou shalt surely die. And you do not go to the wicked and tell him he shall surely die. And that man dies in his wickedness. I will hold you responsible. But if I say to the wicked, thou shalt surely die. And you declare to him, he shall surely, and he refuses. His blood is no longer on your hand. 
How much blood in your hand this morning? Have you told him? How much blood is on your hand this morning? See. So I'm saying to you this morning that the modern church has removed the spiritual arsenal that God has given to humble men and break men. And one of the greatest dilemmas today is helping the lost man to feel his sense of sin. Look, the world is being desensitized by an anti-God fake media that is pushing the false narrative that people are victims. That is what is happening. So, you're a victim either of your past, you're a victim of your environment, you are a victim of the society in which you live, you are a victim of the economic order that you happen to be in, you are a victim of the political system that suppresses you, you are a victim of your hormones. Wow. Yeah, young people, you're a victim of your hormones. You can't help committing immorality and premarital sex because your hormones control you. God gave you the hormones. And at a certain age, you come to puberty and those hormones begin to act up. So you're a victim. Why did God give you those kind of hormones? To develop your character, to say to your hormones, I am more powerful than my hormones. Develop character in you. See? So that you don't do like the average person. That you have to bow to your desires and bow to your lusts. That's not a man. I don't want to say what it is. We are not animals that act on our instincts. We're the highest created order. Where we have a will. See? A will. And we can resist those things. They're victims. Victims of their hormones. And then, of course, you're victims of your genetics. You know, you're born, you know, daddy had a temper. So you got a temper now. Daddy was a womanizer, so you're a womanizer now. This is the garbage we're fed day in and day out by a fake media that desensitizes people to the reality of the guilt by saying, I'm a victim. Then we're victim to the chemical imbalances of our body. So you know, Brother Chris, why you're depressed this morning? No, you're not depressed, right? But the problem is that you have an imbalance of your chemicals in your body. It doesn't matter that you came home last night and your wife said something, you snapped because you had a hard day at work. So you cut her down. And you know what's happened to you now? Guilt now got you. But rather than deal with your guilt and go back to her and say, you know what? I snapped at you because, you know, you, you're too proud, Brother Chris. You, I'm, I'm a man, man. I can't, I can't do that. Every time I have, I go, go back to her again and again and again. So what happens, you know, you're dealing, you're depressed because guilt got you depressed. But you go into the psychiatric hospital or you go to the psychologist and say you're depressed. You can say, well, well, let's take a physical examination. Let's see the chemicals in your body, which is balanced, etc., etc. By the time you leave there, you're feeling good now. 
I, I just knew it. I am a victim. I'm a victim, man. I'm a victim. It's incredible that we're bought into this garbage. And then the worst of all is that I'm a victim of prenatal traumas. You know the reason the way I am today? When I was in my mommy's womb, she did damage to me, man. She did so much damage to me. When I came out, I came with all these mental scars. And now I grow into man. These scars now take a... I've never heard... This is... This is uh, shamanism. This is witchcraft. <laughs> but it's called modern science. Psychology. Fancy words. I, I, I want to say, I, know, I don't know if I should use this illustration, but I can use this illustration. I, I, I was preparing the sermon and I was reading an article and I was, ball, I was laughing so much, I couldn't, I couldn't stop laughing. I mean, I was just bawling. They probably wondered, what in the world wrong with the pastor? What are you going to be laughing at? But here I was laughing at. I was reading about Freud. And the teachings of Freud, I, it made me laugh. So I said, I, I, Joe came down. I said, Joe, sit down right there, sir. She said, Daddy, what do you want? I said, sit down there, son. And like an obedient son, Joe sat down. And I said to him, I said, Joe, I now know why you don't have any discipline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, I don't he, he believe I'm serious. I know, I think he's he beginning to cover me. He's, it's 20 late, going on late 20. He want what you're telling. I said, Joe, I now understand why you, why you don't have any discipline. And Joe looked at me. I, 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 I want to ball, I want to laugh now. You know, I can't laugh. But I said, Joe, I know what, you know, know what happened to you? When you were a boy, baby, and you were being party trained, we were not strict enough on you. So what we did, we let you play along with your stool. No, this is Freud, you know. I'm, this is Freud. He links indiscipline to the fact that you could not control your, your incontinence when you were a child. So what happened? Because, now you know why you're so strict? Because your mommy was so harsh on you. And make sure that if you, every time you did it, she banged you. She made you sit down on the party and do it there. So that strictness now caused you to be strict. I was bawling, laughing. <laughs> I could not believe that a man that would write that kind of junk would be so lauded in the circles of, in, uh, of academia today. Taught in the universities. Anytime you've got a problem, come and I'll tell you what Freud said your problem is. You laugh your way out of the office. Laugh your way out of the office. But because we are now in this era where the media has taught a false narrative that we are victims. What has happened now is that our criminal system is now more supportive of the criminal than even the person the crime is against. Let me use three examples. Dr. John MacArthur, in his book called The Vanishing Conscience, illustrates the horror of this doctrine of victimization. He tells the story of a man who was shot and paralyzed 
while he was committed a burglary in New York City. So he was committed a burglary and the owner shot him. And he became paralyzed. His attorney, in pleading the case for the man, told the jury that the man was first of all a victim of society. That he was driven to crime because of economic disadvantages. Moreover, the man went on to say, the, the, the lawyer went on to say that he's now a victim of the owner's insensitivity to the man's deprivation of economics. Because the owner was callous towards this man's victimization and insensitive to victimization, the owner shot the man. Now, the lawyer goes on to say, this Callous owner disregarded the plight of this man in society. And now this poor man is confined to a wheelchair for life. This man deserves redress at law. You are Japan. You know the jury agreed? The owner now had to turn around and give him a huge sum of money. But the story doesn't end there yet. A few months later, the same man in a wheelchair commits another burglary. That's society for you today. He's a victim. He's not a man that can see something that doesn't belong to him and positively says, I want that. Goes after it willfully, premeditatedly. He's a driven man. His economic deprivation pushed him. No, 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 no. His evil heart of lust, the Bible says, is what pushed him. Boy, if you know where we're headed. This is where we need to bring the truth of the law on the conscience of men. Here's another example of victimization. I'm talking about two separate cases that happened in England. One, a barmaid who stabbed another woman in a brawl in the saloon. Number two, a woman who was so angry with her husband, she drove her car into her husband and killed him. But do you know both of them were acquitted of murder and sent for therapy? And here's why. Both of them argued that they were suffering from acute PMS. <laughs> you know, PMS is, uh, is premenstrual syndrome. She said that because of PMS, their mind was addled and the thinking was not straight. And it caused them to act in a way that they could not control themselves. And the jury agreed. And said, these people are not guilty of murder. We sent them to therapy. What madness is this? How many women in here suffer from PMS? If you're a woman, you must. So how many people you murdered? How many husbands you drove into? How many of you got angry and stabbed? But you see, if I'm a victim of PMS, you can't hold me responsible now. I don't know where this world is going. But I tell you this, 
if we don't get serious and start preaching the truth of what the Bible teaches to impact the minds of men, you got to live with it, not me. I go on very soon, you know. I'm 63. I don't have much longer here. But you and your children are going to have to stay here. Is that the society you want? That your wife walking down the street and a man pulls a gun bam, 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 and kills her. And then a man argued in court. He was smoking. He couldn't help himself. So you have to live with the death of your wife. He goes to the psychiatrist, maybe get a few months in jail, and then he's out there for freedom. And then he goes back, bam, bam, bam. Does it again. When will this madness stop? It will only start when Christian judges get on the seats of the courts of our countries and bring to bear the biblical morality on the situation, the cases that they have. That's when it will stop. Pagans will never stop it because they themselves are brainwashed. There's another case I want to just draw your attention to very quickly. This is a case where a man shot eight children, eight people and killed two women. And uh, the women that he killed, he shot them point blank in the heads. And it went to the courts. This happened in New York as well. And when it came to the court, the argument was, this guy is a drug addict. He takes cocaine. And at the time he shot the ten people, eight children and two women, he was not in control of himself. So he got a very reduced sentence. And guess what? He got therapy too. So today... We are now in an age where everybody's a victim. We are in an age that because we are a victim, it has driven the matter of moral discourse out of our debates. Doesn't even come in. In the 19th century, we said God was dead. In the 20th century, 21st and 20th century, we said the Bible is corrupt. Can't believe the Bible. In the 21st century, we're now saying, man is a victim. When you get rid of God, you get rid of the Bible. The only thing that's left is that we're all victims. And the result of all of this is the loss of a sense of sin. So, murder is now legal. I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, do you know there are more murders outside the prison than in the prison? He said, what do you mean by that? Are you crazy? No. There are more doctors that commit abortion than the amount of murders in the prison. And abortion is legalized murder. Could I tell you something else? It is worse than the man who kills an adult. Because the adult has some kind of guilt. But to take a baby who has no guilt whatsoever. And to rip him apart and pull his legs apart. And put poison in his system so that he comes up like syrup. Do you know a worse form of brutality? But today, it's legal. America alone has killed 37 million people since 1974. Did you hear what I say? 37 million people in America has killed through abortion since 1974. How many people in the Caribbean? You statisticians. You brains. How many people in the Caribbean? 
How many people in the English-speaking Caribbean I believe it's about 10 million? Imagine America has killed everybody in the Caribbean. Three times. Through abortion. You telling me that she's not due to judgment? You tell me that God can stand above there and close his eyes as though nothing is happening? You tell me what is happening. One trial after another. It's not a storm. It's a wave. It's a, it's a hurricane. And when it is not, that is something else. And America is being wrecked apart. You think a God who is righteous and holy can look down on this atrocity and blink his eyes forever? What kind of a God would do that? See, she's due for judgment and it's not over yet. Just wait and see what's going to happen to her in the few years to come. Today, not only is murder legal, but pride is a virtue. Think about that for just a moment. What God condemns is now a virtue. You know what's the motto of the Barbadian uh, arms? Coat of arms? Does anybody know? Pride and industry. We're not even ashamed to say we are proud any longer. We must affirm ourselves. We must empower ourselves. Now the Bible says we must humble ourselves before God. Perversion is now normal. I will not go there. Lust is now love. Guilt is now a pollutant that we must get rid of. And sin has disappeared. Where has it gone to? That's why the Apostle Paul is now dealing with this whole situation where he's telling you what the law was for. By the law is what? The knowledge of sin. I have to finish that next week. But before I close, I want to say to you, it's not only Christians that has realized the dilemma in which we find ourselves in, you know. Even non-Christians who think. I want to put that classification. Non-Christians who think are now drawing to the attention that we are really in trouble. I want to quote Dr. Carl Menninger. I want to... Now this man is not a Christian. He is a psychiatrist. He is a secular psychiatrist. But I want to quote to you what he wrote in his book. He wrote a book in 1974. You know what the title of the book in 1974? Whatever Happened to Sin. 1974. And this is what he wrote in 1974. I read. He said, In all the laments and reproaches made by our seers and prophets, one misses any mention of sin. A word which used to be a veritable watchword of prophets. It was a word once in everyone's mind, but now rarely ever heard. And he goes on to ask the question, does that mean that no sin is involved in all our trouble? Sin with an eye in the middle? Is no one any longer guilty of anything? Guilty perhaps of a sin that could be repented and repaired and atoned for? 
Or is it only someone is stupid or sick or asleep? This is not even a question. But seeing the social landscape and all the mess that is in the world, he is saying, what happened to the word sin? I don't see it anywhere in the media. I don't see it in their writings. He says, wrong things are being done. Tears are being sown in the wheat of the field at night. But is no one responsible? No one answerable to these acts? And then he concludes, where indeed did sin go? What became of it? That's his book. Whatever happened to sin. Now he wrote that in 1974. We are now 217, 44 years after he wrote that book. And brother, it is far worse than in 1974. Whatever happened to sin? Turn on your television and go to TBN. Go ahead. Tell me one or two of all the preachers that mention sin. The majority of them are what you call inspirational speakers. Their purpose is to make you feel good. They don't mention greed or lust or covetousness or materialism or godliness, godlessness or idolatry or moral apathy. They don't mention political inanity. They don't talk about our hidden press and biases. Absolutely not. It's all about how do I empower the people and affirm the people. But let me remind you just a moment what television is about. Television is about image, not reality. It's about creating impressions. It's about being inoffensive so as to not to affect the sensitive of your audience. It's about empowering the listener. It's about enlarging our viewership. It's about increasing the ratings. And it's about increasing the sales of our books and our sermons. It's not about plowing up men's heart and bringing conviction and guilt of sin. That's the mega church, and that's the average television program. Don't take my word for it. Don't say, Pastor Murphy, you're too judgmental. Don't take my word for it. You go on it, and you watch it for a whole month, and tell me how many times you hear the word sin and guilt in, in, in those broadcasts. You see why I say to you that the modern church has aided and abetted the situation we're in? We need to do something about it. And that is why we need to come to the book of Romans like this. And systematically expound and teach. And bring all people to the breath of the truth of God. So that when we do our own evangelism. We go out there. We don't make the same mistakes that people have made. We don't damn people twice. They're damned already. And then you bring them to faith. Which they don't have any faith. You damn them a second time. And they go on believing they okay. And then they're going to stand up and jump and say, I was damned once, you damned me twice. You're responsible. Let's give them the truth. And let us deal with the matter of sin and guilt and wrath. And then when they've come to the point where they say, what should I do? 
Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's then you say, Christ. <laughs> Bring them to the point where they want Christ and Christ alone. When they realize that nothing else can help but Christ and Christ alone. I want him because I'm in this desperate state of judgment and wrath. I will flee to him, run to him. But that's not how we make them feel. We make them feel you haven't done much, you know, yeah, everybody does it. It's like blah, blah, blah. So why do I need a Christ? You tell me. This was not my intention to end at this juncture. I really want to deal with the third one. But we will pick that up next week where we talk about the third purpose to make us sensitive to sin. And I will show you how the law does that. See? And how we need to use it in our ministries. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the patience of those who are here listening. We trust that we have not exhausted their patience and gone beyond reason in the preaching of your word. We trust, Lord, that we have absorbed your word and absorbed your truth. You've seen the error of our ways. Lord, we need to weep and mourn and repent of how we have, in our zeal, we've actually damned people. We've created a generation that don't even know what sin is. Who don't feel the weight of the gravity of the wrongdoing. Who live in sin quite normally without a single compunction of conscience. They're on a merry way dancing their way into hell. And there's no one to warn them. Seriously warn them. Of their condition. God forgive us. God help us. Holy Spirit. Help us to rediscover. The lawful use. Of the law of God. In shutting men's mouth. Lord it's stirring up guilt. By showing them. The gravity of their sin. Their vileness and their foulness before holy God. And the need of repentance and faith towards Jesus Christ. Be with us, O Lord. And help us as we patiently go through your word. Would you anoint the words for your glory's sake, Lord. For your own purpose. Oh, you are grieved, God. That we have been so delinquent in our preaching, in our teaching, in our evangelism. And when you look at the state of the world, you must lament, grievously lament, that the church has inadvertently helped to create the moral chaos in our time. O oh Lord, awaken us to your truth. And may we become a Bible-believing, God-centered Christians. And may we believe that there's only one hope, one way, one truth, one mediator, one savior, one justifier. Christ and Christ alone.
Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the Apostle Paul dealing with this matter. In your great wisdom, you anticipated our day, no doubt. And you included in your word a passage like this that we need to rediscover and use again for the purpose of sincerely, truthfully helping men to the point of repentance and faith. Thank you for those who are here. We trust that anyone that is not saved here this morning, that they would be brought to trust in Christ. We pray for that one who is deluded this morning. Not saved, but not willing to admit they're not saved. Because they made some decision years ago when they were not even broken. But now they come to realize because your word stirs up. They need Christ. He is the missing dimension and dynamic in their lives. All of their inabilities and failures, repeated failures, stem from one fact, the absence of power, the absence of a changed heart, the absence of a regenerated spirit. They are hollow shell trying to be a Christian when they're not. And what a burden that puts on a person's life. Remove the scales this morning, Lord. Do your work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us a third purpose of the law, to give man the knowledge of sin. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street, in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.